Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week on this show, we discuss a movie, and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services, so you can participate along with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined this week by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Josh Dean. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And today's movie is part of our uh, Fincher February Marathon. Uh, we are talking about the 2001 movie Panic Room, 2002, 2001, 2002. Uh, but first, we'll talk <laughs> about what we've been watching lately. Uh, Josh, what have you been watching lately? Uh, well, I've continued my slow descent into hell by watching um, Justice League. Um, oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why, wow. though? So uh, great. Making your I, way to Wonder Woman 84. Exactly. Oh, boy. That's exactly right. Um, and uh, maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome or something, but I I didn't dislike it as much as I thought I was going to. Yeah. Uh, uh, I didn't say I, I liked it all, necessarily. All I'll, take it. I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think I liked was the, anything that he added to it. Because um, oh, boo! Get I out mean, of it's, here. it's it's better than anything <laughs> Batman versus Superman had. Yeah, exactly. I will murder you. <laughs> wow. I don't care, dude. That was garbage. <laughs> the extended cut is one of the best features ever made. <laughs> wow. If uh, you've never seen anything Batman related. <laughs> have you ever seen The Light of Day? Yes. <laughs> wow. Have you ever danced uh, with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of terrible movies. Uh, oh, Batman versus Superman. <laughs> I am I'm so sorry I even brought it up at this point. But uh, uh, the other thing I watched was um, Let Them All Talk, the new uh, Steven Soderbergh movie, um, mostly improvised with uh, Meryl Streep, Candace Bergen, and Diane Weist. So a cast I really related to on a personal <laughs> level. Uh, I've always seen you as kind of a Diane Weist. You know, it really, yeah, she speaks to me. Um, it, it turned out way more likable, uh, relatable than I, I thought it would be. But, um, yeah, if you just like whatever septuagenarian ladies walking around <laughs> shooting the shit, then uh, it's not a bad two-hour movie. Nice. Yeah. Zach, how about you? Um, I've been a busy boy. And uh, I've really just been crushing the streaming situation. Uh, and so I don't know where to begin. Um, Happiest Season ties in very nicely to Panic Room um, because it is Kristen Stewart's new holiday film on Hulu. Not terrible. Not great. Okay. It's somewhere in there. Um, yeah, I thought that was a nice little connection, at least in terms of uh, the movie that we had for today. Um Mank on Netflix per Dale's request, or I guess suggestion, <laughs> but request as well. Um, I, I'm really glad you recommended this. Honestly, it was, I would have never watched it had you not recommended it to me. And I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah. I only watched it because David Fincher directed it. Uh, otherwise I wouldn't really have been interested in it at all. Mm -hmm. So any, I, anything, I think that it was, um, well, I think that it was just fun to watch. Like it wasn't, I feel like that time period to me always feels like it's going to be slow or boring to watch. And it was so, I don't know, manic in a way that I felt was controlled, um, in terms of like the story. Um, I'm not 
necessarily any more uh, in favor of flashbacks with storytelling as a lot of us are here. Um, but I, I didn't mind it, at least with Mank. Um, I guess it helped to fill in that context for the situation at hand. But also there's so much of it that has like political commentary to our current status of, of the world um, that I thought was like, I don't know, it was just well done. And, and Fincher, of course, then ties in too with the movie today. Yeah. Well, they also sort of structure the movie like Citizen Kane. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's kind of aping the same look and feel as a Citizen Kane type movie. And uh, you, that's why you have all of these, all those flashbacks. But then they also like, they always tell you how much time has passed or like, there's always text on the screen telling you when this was. And uh, yeah. to me, it like, it was like, I eventually just kind of gave up trying to keep track of when things were in the story and just let the story happen. Um, yeah. And the story was interesting by itself. So um, all of that was fine. Yeah. But like, as far as David Fincher movies go, it's not, it, it didn't really like, I think it's a really fine technical achievement. I don't think it's a great movie that I'd mm-hmm. want to watch again and again. Um, it yeah. might be something that would be worth watching uh, as a double feature with Citizen Kane, just so you had more, like, so it was kind of fresh in your mind going into it. But right, I also thought it was maybe possibly a commentary on his time with Alien Three because there was a lot of like the studios this and the studios that. Oh yeah, which I was like, I get your nods there, guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, a couple more. Uh, the uh, Hillbilly Elegy on Netflix. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> directed by Ron Howard. I didn't hate it. I didn't think it was as bad as everybody said it was, but it wasn't anything to write home about. Um, you know, um, uh, the old uh, Wonder Woman 84. Um, I mean, I, I just, yeah, like I'm starting to lose faith in my own uh, faith. <laughs> yeah, you didn't I, like I, Wonder Woman 84. No, no, I did not. It was hard to watch in a lot of ways for me. And um, yeah, I I also didn't like Birds of Prey. So I I haven't liked the last two films that DC has produced past Shazam. So Um, you didn't like the good DC movies. Okay. I don't like your face, Aaron. (laughs) Good to know. Wonder Woman's Um, not a good... Wonder Woman 84 is not a good DC movie. And then... um, also on HBO Max, Midway, which I think came out last year, um, but I finally got a chance to see it. Good giant battle movie, um, obviously fictionalized for uh, storytelling purposes in terms of like, you know, lots of the little moments and whatnot. But overall, I thought it was pretty well done. Yeah. Um, and then uh, last one, Soul on Disney Plus, the new Pixar film, uh-huh. I thought was really good. Yeah, I thought it was uh, was well done. It was an interesting story. Um, maybe not my favorite Pixar film, but definitely, uh, a good step for them to take in terms of, um, d- uh, just diversifying their canon and making another great film. So, yeah. Was it better or worse than Colossal? Cause that had a lot to do with soul as well. <laughs> uh, I can't really make a comment. <laughs> All right, then, uh, Aaron, how about you? Uh, you know, I also watched Wonder Woman and the Monkey's Paw. Um, what? It was what? <laughs> <laughs> Wonder Woman 1984. 
it was it was fine. It was fine. Um, <laughs> that that was a. I mean, that's about as good as any DC movie gets. Well, it's like uh, it's any, like the record-setting uh, opening for 2020. <laughs> at at like 16 million dollars, it set the record for so post post COVID in quotes yeah. uh, movie releases. Um, I I rewatched uh, 1917, which I yes. actually I actually really enjoy that movie. I like, love that movie. There, there's just something about that movie that gets me, man. I like I, I cry through the whole damn thing. Um, and then Agreed. I watched a horror movie called Tragedy Girls on Hulu. Um, really, really fun horror movie. Uh, if you if you like that genre, definitely check it out. What's that one about? Uh, it's about these two girls that they're they run a Twitter account called Tragedy Girls, uh, where they supposedly, I guess, they also have a podcast, so it's never directly mentioned. But they are obsessed with like murder statistics, and they're just dead set that there is a serial killer in their town. Uh, okay, and the and the town is just like nah, um, but it's got it's got the uh, girl that played uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead as one of the tragedy girls. Did somebody talk about this before? Because that sounds vaguely familiar. Maybe it was Nathan and Alicia that talked about it. I don't know, but it, it's it's a good one. the The two leads have such a good chemistry. Um, you, you just have to watch it. It's it's good, and that's about it for me. Right on. Well, I you know I talked before. I had uh, made my way all the way through Night Court, and uh, I decided to binge another nineteen eighties uh, long running TV comedy. So my family and I have been watching through New Heart, and uh, oh god, I'm about halfway through season two right now. Nice. Um, that's I think it's 184 episodes, so that's a that's a good long chunk of of time. Um, but it's it it is a a pleasant humorous show. I I'm not to the point. I'm not as far along to where. Um, I had watched it on first release. Um, I, I was more, I think I joined more around season four or five is when my family started watching it. Um, and the cast for the first two seasons is different to what the like final cast became. Um, they retooled the whole show after season two and a lot of things changed. So we're still kind of watching through the the good, not great years of it. What are you watching it on? Um, I got it. The DVDs. Mm, gotcha. So. This is the one where he's an innkeeper, not where he's a psychiatrist, right? Yeah, he's an innkeeper in Newhart. Okay. Yeah, there's the Bob Newhart show, which is where he's a psychiatrist. Then there's Newhart, where he's an innkeeper. And then there was a show called Bob. Bob. Um, and I which forget- one came first? 
I just listed them in order. The Bob Newhart oh. show was like in the seventies. Newhart was the eighties, and uh, Bob was like nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety one. Uh, it was only like two seasons. Um, they had asked him to do more Newhart, and he was kind of tired of it. But he was still under contract to like develop more shows for them. So that's how Bob came about. And uh, um, I don't think it was a huge like ratings failure necessarily. I just don't think it was quite as good of a premise as Newhart was. Um, because like a comic book artist or something. That that kind of sounds familiar. That might have been what he was. Um, because like in in the Bob Newhart show, the the whole the thing about him being a therapist was just like. It's funny to watch Bob Newhart deal with crazy people, like react to crazy people. And that's what Newhart is as well. Like he's an innkeeper, so there's always new people coming into the inn. And then after season two, he also uh, uh, hosts a like, morning TV program. So there's like extra people for him to interact with and, and add into the show. But uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, and then beyond that... Um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and admit it. Uh, I have started watching the latest season of uh, 90 Day Fiance. But uh, the movie suggested for this week was Panic Room. Um, we're doing uh, an all David Fincher and and more specifically sort of the underappreciated David Fincher films this month. Um, Panic Room, of course, uh, came out in 2002. It stars Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart and uh, Forrest Whitaker, uh, Jared Leto, and Mr. Uh, Mr. Raul Dwight Yoakam. Dwight Yoakam. So, uh, uh, interesting movie, uh, bottle movie. It all takes place inside um, this insane apartment that probably could not exist in Manhattan, but somehow does. Um, let alone for what Jodie Foster could potentially pay for it. Um, no matter how rich her husband is, uh, it's, it's like an incredible waste of space for just two people. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but there it is. Um, well, Josh, let's start with you. What did you think watching uh, panic room again? Uh, so this is the first time I had seen it since the theater, actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, it still holds up to me as just a solid thriller. Um, I guess I was reading about people's various theories about feminism and the surveillance state and stuff like that. But honestly, I don't think it had anything on its mind besides being a, a thriller. top-notch thriller. Yeah, yeah right? Uh, Hitchcockian kind of suspense. Um, really good performances all the way around. Um, I Jared Leto makes me so happy when he gets hurt in, in David Fincher movies. I think like, he's actually good in this. Oh, absolutely. He makes me despise him, though. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, such a good performance. Um, Dwight Yoakam's scary as hell in it. Um, yeah. And just, were those his fingers he was picking up at yes. the end? Okay, God. When he finally gets out of the room, there's like two fingers that he picks up off the ground. 
God, I was hoping I saw that wrong, but I was like, okay, yep, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, uh, Kristen Stewart. Obviously, I didn't know who she was when I first saw this. Um, right, so, nobody did. She was like nineteen or twenty when they made this. Right. Yeah. Uh, very impressed um, with her child acting, and um, you know, Jodie Foster. You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen her in something I haven't liked. Um, her performance, even though if the, even if the movie's shit, she's usually really good in it. Um, so yeah, I liked. I I really enjoyed revisiting this quite a bit. I feel like Forrest Whitaker was sort of the the most like straightforward, normal character out of everyone, <laughs> and everybody sure. else had some kind of over the top personality quirk or character trait going on. Whereas he was just mm-hmm. sort of like, like, you know, you learn through exposition and stuff like that, that, you know, he is in a bad financial situation and has to do this job for the money. Right. Um, but he's like, like by the end of it, when the, when the police like catch him out back, mm-hmm. you're sort of like, you're like a little sad for him. Like you kind of wanted him to get away with the money at the end. And uh, apparently test audiences hated that ending they did not they wanted to see him get away with it but it was too late to reshoot anything oh. so so they had to try to pick takes where Whitaker looked less sympathetic but it didn't Interesting. work <laughs> yeah i i, I would have i would have chalked it up to david fincher just said no like that's <laughs> the end of my movie right. but uh <laughs> he did i mean it's he didn't write the the story or anything and uh, sir, I don't know, you know, how much of a final cut he had in this. I'm sure he was a lot more uh, demanding about having final cut after the events of Alien Three. Uh, <laughs> so, absolutely, Aaron. How about you? You know, I remember uh, back when this movie first hit theaters. Everybody was telling me, oh and you got to go watch it if you like things like Die Hard. This movie's amazing. It's actually very similar to Die Hard, like yeah. weirdly similar to Die Hard. <laughs> I, well, I, I was like, it's got Jodie Foster. Of course I'm going to go see it. Like, she can't make two contacts. So, um, Whoa. I hated, Whoa. I hated every... Up. No, 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 no. <laughs> Shots fired. Are, are you talking <laughs> shit about contact? I am talking shit about contact. Well, wow. Um, wow. let's finish this out. This is Aaron's <laughs> final appearance on the Deeply Disgusting <laughs> Movie Podcast. Told you guys. I knew this day was coming. <laughs> I hated every second of Panic Room. Literally every second. I hated the credits. <laughs> I hated everything about it. It's just so terrible. Like the from the setting to the story to the the acting, literally every character in this movie was stupid, <laughs> stupid, like beyond words, stupid. I, what? I, everybody, literally everyone was stupid. Like Jodie Foster sticks half of her body into a ventilation shaft full of propane and lights a match, and somehow that doesn't burn her, but it burns Jared Leto. Let's let's just toss that to the side. It burns her, and it, it was so bad, just start to finish. 
fucking Forrest Whitaker works for the Panic Room Company, literally, according to Jared Leto's character, made this Panic Room, and he has no idea how to get into it at all. It's it's so bad. And then then the the husband comes in later, who we have spent the first thirty minutes of this movie figuring out that he's a cheating piece of shit. And then he gets his ass whipped by Dwight Yoakam in a $2 ski mask. And we're supposed to feel sorry for this guy. We're supposed to be like, oh, no, Jodie Foster, get out there and and make sure he's okay. I don't know that we are supposed to feel sympathy for him. Then We're more like we're hoping that he can, like, save the day in some way, but that's about it. I, I watched this movie when it first came out, and it still it feels the same way today. I get no tension from it because I don't care about any of the characters. You have Dwight Yoakam's character who isn't menacing at all. He's just kind of over there in the corner like, I'm going to kill somebody. And then you find out he's a bus driver. And Forrest Whitaker's character is the only one that makes somewhat decent decisions throughout the entire movie. And he gets punished for it. And so you're just like, what the fuck? I I cannot express how badly I hated this movie. And I, I was blown away that it was David Fincher. So you saw it based on how much you liked Jodie Foster and your, your belief that Contact was a fluke because I'm it actually, was a bad I'm movie. Actually a bit, I'm actually a fan of Contact. But... What? I don't know what to believe anymore. I thought I was the Joker in this fucking podcast. I, I actually like Contact. I pick on the movie because it's it's ridiculous, but I like it. Um, yeah, I I watched this on the fact that I liked Jodie Foster, and people were comparing it to Die Hard, and I watched it, and I was like, this movie's terrible. I didn't feel any tension whatsoever because, like I said, I didn't care about the characters. Like, why didn't you care about Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart? What reason did the movie give me to? They don't deserve to be. They they moved and in, burglarized and terrorized they, by. They moved into a building and shit happens. I just like I didn't <laughs> care. Like, I don't know anything about these people. I felt about the same way as if I had watched it on the news. Did you miss the scene where Jodie Foster is, like, crying in the bathtub? Is she going through a separation? Yeah, she's going through a separation. Other people go through that. I just did not care whatsoever. Oh, Oh, I see. So, literally, like, the movie, I, I don't feel like it gave us any reason. Yeah, she got cheated on. Fuck, that sucks. But, like... I don't care. We don't find out about the. We have little inklings that the kid has something wrong with it throughout the movie, but like. Something wrong with don't. it. Yeah. I just. Like, it, it was. It was bad. I don't understand why people held this movie up so high. I, I just don't get it. Zach, go ahead and explain. Oh, unless boy. you're. I mean, unless you're on. Team uh, Team Wacko with uh, with Aaron there. Oh, 
I, I love you, Aaron, but I'm never on your side. Uh, <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> it's what makes this fun. Um, no, I have the complete opposite reaction. I saw this in the theaters. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, it left a, a, a definitely a mark in terms of like, um, you know, um, filming style because we had just seen Fight Club. Um, or the, you know, fight club was f- fairly recently around the time before this. And so that style just really stuck with me in terms of, um, you know, how he, he moved the camera and gave us these, this like shots where it's going through stuff. And I know like now, you know, technology's changed and filming style has changed, but I thought that was super fun for the time, you know, around this, the matrix and, um, you know, the turn of the century, like there's all this fun filming styles were really coming out. And I think he fully embraced that. In terms of the story, I thought it was just a good story, well told, very suspenseful. Uh, the music really helped carry that suspense, I felt like, all the way through in terms of what Aaron was talking about with tension. I, I felt tension. Um, I, too, thought Dwight Yoakam was an interesting choice, but also terrifying when he's crawling along the floor with the sledgehammer. Yeah. I was like, that. between that and Pennywise, those are the two scariest clowns I've ever seen. Um, yeah, so there, I, clown is right. There's a uh, there's an IMDb uh, video that came up when you when I looked at the uh, page for Panic Room that I think they made like as a as like a promotional thing or a you know just a video for uh, the release of Mank and the the video is is what to watch out for in David Fincher movies. And it's like, you know, um, impossible camera movements, that kind of stuff. And one of them was um, like scary villains. And they showed that scene of Dwight Yoakam, like, you know, with his face like bloodless from being having his hands smashed. And like he's using that sledgehammer to like move himself Mm -hmm. along. Like he looks so freaky in that. Yeah, he punched a kid for Christ's sake. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, talk about villains like holy shit. Um uh and then um I I will admit I am a fan of Jared Leto uh and 30 seconds to Mars. <laughs> um so this th- this I think this film actually turned me on to him. Uh this and Fight Club were like I was like, "Who the fuck is that guy? I really like that guy." Yeah, he's done some fucking weird and shitty things in between there, but like I still have a soft spot for him. Uh, and I thought he was just stupid in this. So like, it was fun for me to just watch him with his cornrows and just yeah. be like, I'm a spoiled little brat, but I won't get that money. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. He was just a, a like human piece of cocaine in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, I just thought that was fun. Forrest Whitaker, man. I just love him. And like so much of the things that I see him in and just like his ability to like hold that, that dramatic, uh, like feeling just to, you're just like you can watch him he's like easy to watch you know um jody foster and kristen stewart i thought held their own and were good and like um i didn't even realize too that like this was kristen stewart just because i don't associate it with a lot of other stuff that she's done probably because she was a kid when she filmed it so maybe there's just that uh that um you know disconnect well but and she I thought she did a really good job like she looks i mean not completely but she looks considerably different as an adult than she did in this Mm -hmm. movie and she was already like i said like at least 19 if not 20 when they filmed it so it's kind of amazing like how much she changed you know into her early 20s by the time they did twilight oh yeah 
Yeah. And of course, you know, you get stuck as the typecast of this person from this franchise. And that's, you know, I mean, all of them have to go through that in terms of like, people are now trying to do the whole Robert Pattinson thing, trying to disassociate him with Twilight. And it's like, yeah, he's done some pretty good other films. Like he can actually act, you know? Um, And so like, I think that that's, it's hard for maybe a lot of general audience members to do, but um, and critics as well sometimes. But I think that like, you know, she held her own in this, especially against Jodie Foster, who's like a, um, you know, powerhouse uh, in terms of like acting at this point, right? With um, Silence of the Lambs and Contact and everything she's done. Um, also, I I, thought, I read that Nicole Kidman was when she originally supposed to play that role. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, that's like, interesting. I don't know. I mean. I, I, I think that would have been a different movie, like same, but different. Cause I don't know. I like Jodie Foster way more than I like Nicole Kidman. I actually, I think I would have, I mean, I, 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 I think I agree with you that, uh, <laughs> that sh- I like Jodie Foster better. Um, I actually would have, um, I think Nicole Kidman might be just in my head might be more, of, I, w- I would just accept her as more vulnerable than Jodie Foster or Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. I always feel like, you know, whatever's going on, she can handle it. Um, and I think for what they were up against, she came off as very capable. Um, I, I don't agree pretty much at all with any of the, uh, any of the characters being just stupid. I think they all made decisions and they made decisions that made sense for the like 10 seconds that they made sense before everything changed again. Cause it's a thriller and things are continuously ratcheting up. But, uh, um, but yeah, I was just going to say, apparently when Jodie Foster came on, she had them rewrite the role because it was more vulnerable and less proactive, uh, when it was Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Um, so they made it to more fit Jodie Foster than the other way around, um, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and 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 that honestly may have hurt the movie a little bit um, because I think I, I think there there would be more tension if you were more concerned for her character. I was never, you know, she she not to the same degree, but she she suffered a little bit from the Tom Hanks syndrome that I always talk about where I know this character is going to be fine because it's Jodie Foster and she's in the lead and it's three guys versus, you know, a woman and a daughter. And, you know, I I know how far this is going to, this is going to go. It's not going to go well for the guys. Um, And I, I saw it as almost like it's, it's sort of a, uh, uh, small vibes of, of home alone. Um, yes, big, yes. big vibes of Die Hard. Um, yeah, right down to the the fact that they're they're there to steal bearer bonds that no one thinks is there, or no one that no one suspects that that's what they're actually after. Because Jared Leto didn't tell them what was actually in the box; he just said he would split the money with them. So. Yeah, I got that that home aloneness. This watching it, you know, it, it's so funny to see like when she's smashing out the mirrors and like locking the doors. Yeah, and then she picks up the sledgehammer, and you're like, they really just it took that influence and ran with There's it. There's even a scene where she walks barefoot over that broken mirror. 
Yeah. And they forget to have it make any consequence. Like she just walks over it and nothing happens. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Which upsets Aaron immensely. Well, <laughs> man, I would agree with that criticism. And I do agree with the criticism <laughs> that uh, the way that she lit that, uh, that gas on fire was, was really not smart. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, maybe it was a thing where they, um, when they did the visual effects for the gas, they made it look worse than what they had planned on when they shot it, but she shouldn't have put her arm anywhere near as far into that thing. Like she should have just reached up and like tapped it like right next to the, right next to the vent and let it, let it blow down. Um, and then, yeah, she does like her, her arm is burned, but not nearly as badly as Jared Leto is burned. Um, and that, that effect overall is kind of like, I think it's solid enough for 20 years ago, but you can kind of see the fakeness of the fire. Now, um, the CGI ness of the fire. Um, I also, I mean, just knowing how David Fincher shoots and knowing how they do those impossible camera moves. Like I was like, that's a CG door. That's, that's a CG railing. You know, these countertops aren't in this room at all. They're all put there in post. The camera can't go there. Um, You know, the, the scene where she, the scene where she lights the, uh, the propane and it blows up the wall. That scene, to me, that scene to me is completely undercut by the very next thing that happens. Because after it explodes and everything is is fine, she looks at Kristen Stewart and she's like, don't ever do anything like what I just did. Like, they might as well have played a damn laugh track. Well, I, think I was that- like, is, is this a comedy? <laughs> I was very confused. Like the the feelings that I got from that scene were just it was it was confusing. It made me laugh. I thought it was like a an action one liner kind of thing. Um, and also, I mean, she's right. Never do that. It's it's a terrible <laughs> idea. One of the scenes I wanted to talk about was the when the cops show up and. And her fluctuation of accent, I couldn't tell if she was doing like a starling, like she was like she slipped like into the starling character a little bit, and then she sounded like herself, and then she sounded British for a hot second. Anybody else pick up on that? No, I just I just picked up that she was pretending to be like woken out of a deep sleep at first, and yeah, and then it was. Uh, I tried to keep my eyes open as long as she did. When the guy was like, you know, it would be safe if you started blinking and. Signal to see you're wrong, and it's like I, yeah. I I made it, but it was not easy to keep from blinking for that long. Yeah, no, I just thought it was a, an interesting scene. I'm, I'm sure it's probably just me nitpicking on little, and I didn't. It didn't take me out of the movie. Yeah. I just thought it was funny how she was like trying to portray being sleepy. So like, the, her, I guess to her, she's like trying different accents or like different ways to talk or whatever. Yeah. Like. She's like I'm, I'm fine, officer. I'm, yeah. I'm very okay. <laughs> Everything's good here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. She, I, I wish, I wish the officer would have been like, "Ma'am, if there's something you need to say, change your accent, and we will know." 
I I think the movie has some flaws for sure. Um, I think that the uh, um, there are some points that drag uh, where the the tension's kind of lost or they stay on one some particular problem for for longer than they should. Um, uh, it's it's kind of a lot that she like gets out of the panic room and back in so many times um that that started like pushing believability um because she gets out successfully twice and gets back into it and then the third time she leaves is when they get in there and they're trapped in there with uh Kristen stewart who's having a uh diabetic attack or whatever yeah yeah that, i don't think they specifically state it but that makes the most sense because well, they talk hey. about her not being uh not having eaten anything so when when she gets into bed at the beginning of the movie when like jodie foster tucks her into bed and says uh, it's disgusting how much i love you that whole scene um Kristen Stewart asks her to turn like the light on or like there's not enough light, leave the lights on. And when she when she like finally rolls over and sort of settles into bed, you can see the face of her uh what's on her wrist. It looks like a watch, but it's actually a glucose meter. So it says 70G on it. Um and that number like continues to drop as the movie goes. So they don't like come right out and and yell it at the audience, but but it's it's definitely there. It's established that that's that's what the issue is. And going back, there's a nice little moment when they're having dinner and she's drinking Coke, and Jody Foster's like, eh, eh, "That's enough of that for you." Um, yeah, which you think that's just a parental thing, but then you're like, "Oh no, okay, it's a health thing too." I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, one thing, Dale, to jump back to the house when you were talking about just because, oh God, you know, I, when I lived in Manhattan, um, it definitely uh, was something like I've been inside of Brownstones in Manhattan, and yeah, they're they're not that decadent. They're very nice, very nice, but like that, yeah, that that thing is created in a way that's like, what? Who could ever afford something like that in Manhattan? Even at that time period, it was just. Uh, I think I looked it up now. It's that house is worth, or the exterior house or whatever is worth like seven point two million or something like that. And you're just like, what? What? Yeah, but the interior was not a seven point two million dollar brownstone. That was like no. a two hundred million dollar brownstone. Yeah, the inside the, was with crazy that elevator, big. Yeah, insane. Um, I mean, I got to see some really cool places in New York, and I also really enjoyed just like you know them talking about. Um, the whereabouts in New York, like what, you know, where they were at or um, what side of the park they were on. Cause I actually lived pretty close to central park when I lived in Manhattan. Um, and so like, it's fun for me to watch films that are set either in Los Angeles or New York uh, because I'm always like, Oh, I've been there or, Oh, I know where they're talking about or, you know, any of that kind of fun stuff. Um, but yeah, that it was, it, I've, <laughs> I just couldn't imagine going in and to something like that with just two people, and just the amount of room and space you'd have, it's like, it's insane. Yeah, let alone Manhattan. Like, anywhere, that's yeah. an insane... Like, 
you know, and it doesn't like it doesn't feel like they can afford like a cleaning staff or something like how are the two of them going to maintain that place? Um, and, and one of the giveaways that it's it's not a real brownstone on the inside um, and that it's it's a set is just how clean everything is. Like <laughs> nothing in New York is that perfect. Um, no. And, you know, they, they do try to scuff it up a bit and, and, and make the sets real, you know, kind of look like the same style. But, um, you know, for the, for the way that a lot of the shots were composed with the camera, like flying around everywhere, at least 50% of the furniture, um, things like the kitchen counters that are all over the place, um, those sorts of things, those, those wouldn't have really been there um, when they shot it. So it, it would have been like a mostly open set. And then they added all of that stuff in later on with, with CG and visual effects. More power to them if they can afford something like that. But <laughs> that thing was so freaking extravagant. I didn't know what level they were on at any given time. Yeah. It's like she is her husband, like Jeff Bezos or something. And she's expecting a big settlement. He's Dr. Pfizer. If he's in pharmaceuticals, he's got to be Dr. <laughs> Dr. Pfizer. Pfizer. Well, and then, uh, you know, despite the fact that Kristen Stewart's a, a diabetic and, and needs to have, you know, needs to take care of herself, she's at an age where, you know, she's going to be going off to college or moving out at some point and not going to live with her mom. So then, what, it's just going to be Jodie Foster with 10,000 square feet in Manhattan all to herself? Yeah. I, yeah, I like when the realtor was like, formal dining's on the first floor, casual dining is downstairs. <laughs> You're like, fucking everywhere's casual dining, bitch. <laughs> yeah. And there were two floors of bedrooms. Yeah, that was insane. <laughs> like, I think Kristen Stewart's bedroom was on the, the like, top floor, and Jodie Foster's was, like, the one below it. Um, So, like, she had her own. She basically had, like, just Jodie Foster's floor was, like, an apartment. Mm-hmm. Like it had a bedroom. It had a, a a giant bathroom with a claw foot tub in it. Um, I don't know. I it's it's a silly thing to get stuck on, but it was it was very humorous. Like the whole showing, you know, because you have to establish the house and how everything's laid out. That's really important to the rest of the movie and understanding where people are and that you've got those security cameras and all of that sort of stuff and that the panic room exists. Um, and uh, it would have been, you know, th- the movie wouldn't work if it was in an actual Manhattan, uh, a- an actual Manhattan residence because there'd be no way to like sneak out of the panic room, go somewhere and sneak back into it without, you know, knocking over all of the stacks of old newspapers and trash and everything else that's all over everything in New York. Yeah. I love that it was a state of the art, um, panic room with like the laser door. Was, oh, yeah. Uh, I love that it was the state of the art panic room with like the laser door and everything, but still had VHS for recording. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> Um, it, it was also funny that the the laser so it doesn't close on things was only at like head level and ankle level, <laughs> so that they could smash 
Dwight Yoakam's hand. Like his hand wasn't touching <laughs> yeah. the laser when it's when it closed, so it closed on him. Just so funny. Yeah. It's like what happened to the pets? Well <laughs> <laughs> one of them one of them jumped right at the wrong time and uh <laughs> Yeah. We're burying half of Fluffy tomorrow, so so um yeah, I, I wrote down a couple of things. Uh, I did write down the whole promise me you'll never do anything like that line uh, to remind me about the the fact that Jared Leto somehow got more burned than Jodie Foster um, and, and that the flame effects are starting to age poorly. Um, that title sequence, that's a very David Fincher type thing to do. And a lot of people have, have copied that sort of style uh, since then, but the idea, the idea of those, those letters, not only hanging in space and being sort of, uh, aligned to the buildings that they're next to, but they also have like realistic shadows and realistic shadows are cast on them from the things they're around. Um, so that the tiles actually look like they're just actually hanging in the air instead of just normal text over the top of the movie. Um, and I also made a note that this movie was sponsored by Evian. Uh, <laughs> every every time someone took a drink of water in the movie, it was from an Evian bottle. <laughs> Kristen Stewart had an entire uh, mini fridge of, full of Evian. Yeah. I was like, there was just a lot of wa- a bottle of water in that. Which is crazy because Manhattan has like the best tap water on Earth. So it's yeah, very strange that they were drinking Evian. Right when she goes to take the the Advil or whatever, and she uh, takes the the she drinks right out of the faucet. I was like, hell yeah, that's what you do in New that's York. That's what you do. But yeah, when she when Jodie Foster came to wake Kirsten Stewart back up, um, the bottle that she had like left out for her for the night, like the cap was off and like a sip had been taken out of it. Like in the amount of time between when she put her in bed and when she came back and it made me wonder it was like she has a mini fridge in her room so you put this this cold bottle of water on top of the mini fridge so that it could warm up for her for the night <laughs> like why can't she just go into the mini fridge and get what she needs out of there it's strange uh, helicopter mom moment strange things we're, we're we're finding like the weirdest things to talk about with this movie because it's it's too good to it's it's too good to come up with anything else um, anything else like that and uh, Aaron you can make that face all you want but you started your your whole pitch with you know Jodie Foster had had only screwed up once before with contact and I uh, and I even stopped you and you you oh, insisted that you didn't like it and that it was contact was that was funny everybody makes fun of contact what <laughs> literally everybody that has been on? a joke for years maybe McConaughey in contact maybe uh most mostly the joke revolves around the alien taking the form of her father like um like there, there's a shit ton of TV shows and movies that, like, oh, none of that stupid contact shit. It's just a joke. I, I, I think that that about says it all, um, and and more. 
maybe more than I expected on on uh, mm-hmm. Panic Room. I expected this to be a a fairly unanimous conversation, and so it's interesting that it wasn't. Um, we'll see about next time as uh, we continue <laughs> Fincher February uh, with our next film, The Game. So uh, get ready for some some Michael Douglas. Uh, game action Uh, but for Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast thanks everyone for uh, participating in the discussion thanks everybody for watching listening um, hearing uh, whatever other senses you involved in this process and uh, we will see you on the next (laughs) Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast